Hey, hey, welcome back to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. So listen, you and I both know that growing a successful business as a beauty entrepreneur is about so much more than hair and the service that you provide. So my guest today is Kelly Kahan. She is a published author and seven-figure salon owner that is dedicated to helping hairstylists step into the CEO role in their businesses. Now, some of the things that we're going to cover today are how you can create the white space you need to dedicate time to your business, how you can thrive as the owner of a team-based salon, how to figure out what your vision is and where you want to go so that you can take the steps to make it happen. And one of the biggest takeaways in this episode that I just want to put out there right away is that your work is more than your revenue generating hours. And you are going to love this episode because we're actually going to walk you through how you can free up white space in your calendar so that you can work on your business instead of just in it. So without further ado, let's get started on this week's episode of the Hairstylist Rising podcast, CEO lessons from a seven figure salon owner. You're listening to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Here we talk about creating a career you love. We go deep into mindset, marketing, business, and life as a hairstylist. I'm your host, Jody Brown, a hairstylist veteran turned branding and marketing mentor for ambitious, inspired beauty pros like you. On this podcast, we share the real stories of leaders within the beauty industry and actionable trainings that leave you with the tools and guidance that will inspire you to build your best life as a hairstylist. From branding, business, and marketing to mindset, life, and finding fulfillment, no topic is off limits here. Get ready to be educated and inspired. This is the Hairstylist Rising Podcast. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on it. So for my listeners who don't know you, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, how you got into the industry and the business that you have today? Absolutely. Yes, I've been in the industry for longer than I care to admit. My family had a hair salon and I found myself working in it at a very young age just as a receptionist and that just slowly evolved as I got older into being a commissioned hairstylist. Eventually, I went off from there to work at another environment just because I wanted experience in a different type of setting, like a high-end spa. And I discovered that each had something the other didn't have and I wanted to combine that all together. So I opened my own studio. It's been open for 13 years. We are now a seven-figure business. So I found myself constantly in conversations with people asking how I did it, how I run a successful salon. And that just evolved into writing the book. And then that evolved into people wanting more coaching. So now I own the salon. I'm a published author and I coach other salon owners in how to successfully run a commission salon. I am so excited to hear that that's how you got started because my mom was also a salon owner. I'm from England and she bought her first salon when she was 21 and she started working there when she was like 11 as a shampoo girl. So I very much feel like we have that parallel of being in the industry for much, much longer than we want to admit. So the first thing I'm going to ask you, because I think that this is so cool before we get into today's topic is where can people get your book? Your book is called 
called Scissors Make Sense. And it is, tell me a little bit more about it. Absolutely. Yes. So it is a book that it's really an educational experience, but it's entertaining at the same time because it really does combine all of these stories that so many stylists and salon owners can relate to. Some of them you'll be like, yes, I've been there. Others will make you laugh at the audacity, but there's so many training tools inside of it in order to set up systems for your business, financials for your business, how to be a happy leader. The book can be found anywhere that you can buy a book. Most people get it off of Amazon, but you can find it at Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Target, literally anywhere you can buy a book. Oh my God, I love it. I know that reading is like one of my absolute favorite activities and a lot of my listeners, some of my book episodes are really popular. So today we're going to dive into ways that you can create some more white space in your schedule to work on your business instead of constantly being behind the chair. Because I mean, I think we can all agree that in today's, you know, career path as a hairstylist, it is about a lot more than just doing hair. And that goes whether you are a, you know, commission salon owner, an independent stylist, a booth runner, like no matter what that looks like for you, there's a lot outside of just doing the hair. And if you're a salon owner, there's way, 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 way more. So Let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about, first of all, what are, you know, some of the ways that you see stylists kind of shooting themselves in the foot or salon owners when they're spending too much time having to do hair? Yeah. You know, the reality is that, you know, you just never know what's going to hit you day in and day out. So if you are completely booked behind the chair as a salon owner, and this applies to an independent stylist, independent salon, a commission salon, if you're working so much behind the chair, when that chaos happens, the daily chaos that you just can't plan for, then you have to add that on top of everything else that you're doing. And really and truly what happens is the clients end up struggling, right? Because you're trying to manage all of these things while doing hair. So it's really important that depending on the size of your business and how, you know, how much revenue you're bringing in, how big your team is, that you're setting aside the necessary amount of time to dedicate to running and managing the business so that you have the capacity for both. Right. So I think when, you know, someone's listening to this, the first thing that's going to come up, because this is something that I think is universal, just the way that our industry has, you know, operated since the beginning of time is that a lot of the time I think people only consider revenue generating hours as work. So I can just hear inside the heads of some of my listeners right now, okay, how am I supposed to create all this extra time without losing a bunch of money from not being behind the chair as much? Right. Yeah. And my suggestion is to base that off of revenue. And these are just kind of quick numbers. It can be definitely more detailed when you get down into an audit of your business. But you know, if your revenue is between zero and 250 a year, 250,000 a year, you know, you might be spending more like 80% behind the chair and 20% on your business because you likely have less to manage. But nonetheless, you need to make sure that you've got at least some dedicated business time mm-hmm. to the business. As that revenue grows between, let's say, 250K to 500K, now mm-hmm. we might be looking at more of a 60 40 or 50 50 split because your business is growing, your team is likely growing, and therefore you need more of that time on the business. Now that my 
my business is at a seven figure revenue, I have to spend more like 80% on the business and 20% behind the chair. In fact, I just fully closed my books behind the chair. And there is some wiggle room where I could take clients, but the reality is the capacity, the mental energy that it takes to go into the decision-making and the chaos control. The more people there are, clients and stylists, the more you have to handle and you have to be able to hold space and have that capacity to be able to handle that on top of your inventory, on top of your budgets, on top of your leadership with your team. All of these things are working hours and and that's something, you know, that we can talk about where it's like, how do you price yourself as an owner to make sure that even if you're putting limited time behind the chair, that you are still factoring in, that you are working 40 hours on your business. I think a lot of times people work behind the chair, as you said, and think those are their revenue hours. But in reality, in order for you to be able to continue producing revenue for your team, mm -hmm. you have to be able to set that time aside and you should be paid and compensated for that time equally. Well, I love that you say that. And I think too, as you were talking, something that came up for me was like, I I hear a lot of, because you predominantly work with commission slot owners, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I firmly believe that even with the rise of the independent stylist and all of that kind of stuff, there's still a place for commission slots. Like, and, and there are a lot of of stylists, there's a lot of people in the world who don't want to juggle running a business. And that is totally okay. There's a lot of stylists who, you know, want to be able to go to work, work in a great environment, love their clients, love their craft, and not necessarily do all of the other things associated with running a business. Those, so now we know, I'm just stating that because I, I want people to be very aware that those those stylists, those people still exist, and that is a perfectly acceptable success route for you if that's if that's what you want to do. You just want to be the best at your craft and make a killer living and all of that. So now that we know that, let's get into this like new paradigm that I see a lot. And this is something I see in a ton of Facebook groups and like, you know, because it's just something that comes up a lot. And it's commission slot owners saying things like, nobody wants to work anymore. Nobody wants to work for me anymore. All of this kind of stuff. So as you were talking, I was, I noticed that you, you mentioned leadership for your team, managing your team, all of those types of things. Now, every hairstylist, I think at some point, unless you're very, very lucky has worked for a burnt out owner who doesn't have time for them. And that is not usually a fun experience. <laughs> Right. So can we talk about like how, you know, if maybe if you're losing staff or you're struggling, because I know that's a really common concern and a common struggle, like, can you talk about the ways that you need to make time for your team if you want to retain them and like what you've seen in that area as far as like in 2022, how you retain and make sure that your staff are happy so that you can grow your business? Absolutely. And I mean, the key is to pivot, right? I mean, th this is such a loaded question. I could answer this for hours. But I mean, the two things that are like really sticking out is as a salon owner, you need to be able to pivot. You can't be just set in your ways where it's like, nope, this is the way I saw it and want mm -hmm. it and visualize it. it's always going to be this way. You have mm -hmm. to pivot as the time changes. Also, as a salon owner, you have to work on your mindset. And I think that is such a key and cr critical piece to 
properly leading a team is you've got to be able to separate pet peeves from your ego. And so when I sit down with my team, people, we have to look at why did the independent boom become so big? What was it that people were leaving? And the reality is it was asshole owners who were set in that way. You know, it was people who didn't want to change, who didn't want to listen, but also they didn't want to pivot. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that the pandemic really taught us, I think everybody was how we all want better work-life balance. In some ways, it was devastating to be shut down. But in Mm -hmm. other ways, it was just so nice to take a time out. When the whole world took a time out and it allowed us to do that, it made us start realizing what in our lives were important and what weren't. So Mm -hmm. it's really important as a salon owner to get really clear on your numbers and to have an understanding of how they work and to realize when a stylist comes to me and they're burned out and they're working 36 hours a week, but they want to go down to 32, that I have the tools to allow them to do that. Mm -hmm. while making the same amount of money, which of course is a price increase and it's educating them as to why we're doing that. And so you want to sit down with them and constantly measure where they're at. I ask them every single month, the first question that happens in our sit down meetings is, you know, what do you have for me? I open up the door for them to give me input and ideas and I try to lead very fairly. And if I can accommodate, I will. Uh, The way I determine whether or not I can accommodate is I measure it against all of the stylists. Can I do this for everyone? And if I can do it for everyone, then I try it. Why not? If I find that it's an area where it's like it only benefits one person and it's detrimental to the team, then I actually will put that back on them and say, how do you feel if I did this for everyone? And they're like, well, you probably couldn't. And I'm like, well, there's my answer. So I almost have them answer it versus me give them that answer. And then I'm really transparent with that pricing. And I try to take whatever it is that they want to do to create that balance in their life and accommodate that. And as you said, on the flip side, you know, it's really important to kind of get down to where their passions lie. I have six figure stylists on my team who could certainly go independent, but the way it's set up, the way I take care of them, because I have stepped away from the chair is it's my job to take care of her so that she can come in every day, set up her station, do hair and go home. She doesn't have to think about it because hair is her passion. And when we talk about independence with these stylists, it's like, do you want to run your own business? Do you want to do inventory? Do you want to do budgets? Do you want to be in control? And some do, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just had a stylist who left to open his own salon and we celebrated him the entire process, you know? So it's okay if they do want to go on to bigger and better things. It's not okay when they're leaving you because you're not holding your end of the bargain. Yeah. And, or, or creating, I think, you know, you said something about, and this is something I heard you say even before we had connected and it was about separating your pet peeves from, you know, your business. And I think a lot of, I talked to a lot of stylists and I was working behind the chair prior, like as an independent stylist, but in a booth rental salon. And, you know, one of the things that, that became very clear to me, and I think a lot of other stylists when they had to step away from the environment that they were in is either they really missed it or they were like, wow, I feel a lot better not going into that environment every day. And for me, that was one of the main highlighting pieces is like, if you are a salon owner and your your entire salon's environment depends on, you know, which way the wind blows, what kind of mood you're in and you're losing stylists, don't be surprised, <laughs> especially after now. Like I think that, like you said, the last few years have have highlighted, 
not only, you know, what we want for our futures, but also like how we want to feel every day. And I think that it's almost connected people away from this, away from this hustle and connected them to what's truly important to them. So you talked about like separating from your pet peeves. You also talked about making sure. And what I heard when you were talking about meeting with your stylist is you're always giving them an opportunity to grow right? You're always like figuring out and growth can be, like you said, cutting some hours from your schedule. Growth can be not having to work a day that you don't want to work anymore, dropping a service you don't love. But they're always, I think that's one of the big things that was a pull from the independent stylist I talked to is being in control of, and not even the control, but the the freedom to grow and evolve. And so if you're, if you're not providing that, maybe that's something to take a look at as well. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And my job is to, you know, nurture them, support them, grow them. And it's not what I want for them. It's what they want for themselves. Right. And like I said, I do have to look at it as a team picture, but if I can accommodate it, I do accommodate it. It's more, I always say, I say this all the time. So my little tagline is happy stylist equals happy clients equals a happy leader. So if I, if my job is to keep my stylist happy and if they're happy, they're keeping the clients happy, you know? And if those two are happy, then my business is likely successful and now I'm happy, right? And I think sometimes we get too caught up on the small, minute details that really just don't matter. And that is a phrase that I will say to myself daily, which is, Kelly, is this a pet peeve or is this an issue? You know, and an issue to me is my building's about to burn down, you know, the roof's on fire. But most of the time, things aren't an issue, including if someone's a little bit late that day, you know, Mm -hmm. now if it comes up to be a really big problem and I've seen it multiple times, then I will address that in that monthly meeting where we sit down. And that's when I will take the time to say, I noticed this past month you were, you were behind like, you know, three, four or five times, you know, if we can keep an eye on that. But the key is to not do that every day. You relate today. And then they have to go right in from, you know, that anxiety and being jumped on. They are adults, you know, and then they have to service the clients where at least in that monthly meeting, they know a conversation is going to happen. And this is how I do that anxiety free leadership is that I just try very hard to table everything for that monthly conversation versus Mm -hmm. hitting it every day, day on. And I always tell the story in my training which is really funny. If they show up drunk and pantless, like you got to deal with that, right? Because <laughs> I would or not have had that happen. No. Um, now that is the building's on fire, right? The building's on fire. But if they're just a few minutes late or they're messy yeah. or they're, you know, it can wait. These things yeah. can wait. For sure. I love how you say that. This is just curiosity. Do you have full staff meetings or do you do keep it more one-on-one? So I used to do the full staff meetings. I, ever since COVID, all of that kind of went away. Mm -hmm. And then we've always done the one-on-one meetings and they seem to be effective. So I usually have their one-on-one and we go through their full, you know, I I do it with the template, like a worksheet template Mm -hmm. and I do their full meeting. And then if I have any like big group notes, I save those for the end and I'll say, okay, and here's our, our group notes. So this doesn't apply to anyone individually. It's just things that I have noticed as well for the group. And I handle them that way. I do love love team team meetings. I'm not against them. We just have kind of weeded those out and we do more of like a team outing. So like this, this Friday, we're all going to a cooking class. So that's how we come together as a team and do something team building. But I think, you know, it's unfair for a group. My, my team's so big to have to sit there. And honestly, when you have one issue in your group and you're saying it to the whole, 
everybody knows, including that person, that it's them. And then they're embarrassed. It is very passive aggressive. Yeah. um, I I think it's a cop out, honestly. And that's what I always felt as a stylist. Like I've worked in commission salons. I've been an independent stylist. My mom was a salon owner. So like I've been in a lot of salons and I always feel like I remember even being 18 years old and like having someone called out in a staff meeting. I honestly think it makes you lose a little bit of respect for the owner because you're like, you know, grow, grow up a little bit and address this privately like an adult. (laughs) We do have a group just, I mean, you're, everyone's familiar with Slack. I think we have like a Slack group and we have a text group that's going. And so in that text group, we can do things like reminders. So it's like, Hey, just a gentle reminder. You know, if you're doing your color, please don't use dirty hands to remix or something, you know, something. (laughs) So, I mean, we do have our, our text group where we do, you know, gentle reminders, but we're not necessarily necessarily calling anyone out. So that that's an option just to kind of hit everybody at the same time. So if it's a yeah, point that, that everybody needs to hear, I just kind of text it out versus wasting their time in a full meeting. But like I said, I'm not anti-meeting. I definitely think you need to find ways to celebrate your team at the same time. And that's totally. why we do the, the team outings and things. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. What's that meme that was really popular a couple months ago? It was like, don't make something a meeting if it could be an email. Right. <laughs> I I love that. Like for the Slack, I think that's a really smart way to do it. (laughs) And I really like to, you know, honestly, I'm always assessing my business. I think sometimes as owners too, we put on the business cap and we forget what we were like as an employee, right? Right. So we get so business focused, but I really do try to stop and reflect and say, you know, if I was an employee, would I enjoy this? If I was an employee, would I want to do this? Sometimes we think I have a business, business means a staff meeting, you know, and we just get into what we think we're supposed to do instead of really humanizing it. And so for me, it's really important to kind of step back and say, okay, what if I was the employee? What would I want in this situation? You know? Well, and I think that it's like the community of hairstylists has strengthened a lot. So I probably started behind the chair now like 17 years ago, I want to say. And at that time, you typically weren't friends with a whole ton of hairstylists at different salons, right? So it was a little bit more for it. So people were operating more in a vacuum, I guess is what I mean by that. So now there's so many spaces for like community and Instagram. People have our Instagram friends with other hairstylists all the time. So I think think that stylists now are a lot more literate on what's going on and they expect a little bit more. So I think that makes sense to evolve and create those things as if as a commission stylist, because like we said, there's still lots of people who want to work as commission stylists. So if you're having trouble retaining your staff or attracting a staff, we talk about branding and the importance of that. And I think it's equally when you're thinking about marketing and branding and showing up online it's equally as important for attracting the right kind of stylist to your team as it is attracting clients. Absolutely. 100%. I thoroughly agree with that. And we use a lot of times that community building on our salon page. So one of the things we love to do is host classes where we welcome in the community and then we showcase that, right? Or we show the fun things that our team is doing. So it's not like we're like, so in your face saying, join our team. This is why, you know, we're just showing you that behind the scenes, you know, of what it looks like to be a part of the party, you know? Exactly. And you know, it's funny, I actually was doing a coaching session with a salon owner not too long ago. And one of the things that she was saying is like, do I need to start a separate page? Cause I want to attract clients, but I'm also trying to attract staff. And I was like, 
No, the thing is, if you are showing like your experience, what it's like to be a part of your culture, all of these things that you should be showcasing, then that's going to naturally catch the eye of stylists who are looking for a new home. You don't necessarily need to do, you don't need to have two separate strategies for attracting stylists and attracting clients. It's just, you know, that's part of the brand now. It's not just hair photos. That's part of how you market. It's getting to be a part of that culture and learning about what it's like to be a part of your salon. Absolutely. Okay. I wanted to kind of pivot slightly and go back to what we were talking about as far as creating that white space. Theoretically, I know it's like, it's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But like, how do you practically make that happen if you're a salon owner who is currently really booked with clients and you kind of are relying on the income that you bring in? What are the steps that you need to take? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, you have to make peace with letting go of some people, right? I mean, that's the hardest part is that we really get comfortable with these clients. They sort of become friends or family, you know, and it's like, how do you pick and choose who stays and who goes? And the answer is you don't have to, you kind of let that naturally happen, but you want to make sure that you do have some team in place, whether it's one or two stylists, somebody with some availability. And the first thing you're going to do is look at how many hours you're working versus how many hours you want to reduce down to. And then you want to compare that to how much are you bringing in, in your current hours. And then we need to increase the price for the lesser hours to reflect that so that you're making the same amount of money in lesser hours. It's going to be a price increase. And so sometimes it feels really scary because that can be substantial in the price increase. And you have to remember if you're going from 40 hours now down to 32, let's say you're just removing eight hours, which is a work day, you know, you're you're freeing up one day. That's eight hours a week of, of business you need to lose. You need to be willing to let go of, which turns into what 32 hours a week. So 32 hours of clients is a lot of people. But what you want to do is make sure that you have a younger stylist. It doesn't have to be way younger, but just something under you that is a lesser price and you funnel those clients down. So naturally you are going to have clients who are going to say, I can't afford your new price. And you go, you know, I really understand budgets. I, my business is growing. I always believe in celebrating a price increase. So I need to spend more time on the business. It's so exciting what's going on. And then you grow your younger stylist with your current clientele. And that's something that's really beautiful when you're in your business and you can look at any chair and see your old clients where they're still supporting your business. They're not necessarily in your chair. And one of the questions that comes up is, well, what if that stylist always only wants to see me? There are some that are going to pay anything, no matter how high you go. And there are others where budget's going to be the concern. And those are the ones we're going to shift down. But we keep them in the business by saying, By staying here and seeing this other stylist, you're going to get my formula because, you know, you're not going to go somewhere and start brand new. You're going to get my formula. She's going to have my guidance, right? And therefore, it's going to be the same experience. So it may tweak a little bit just because we all have a different handwriting. But, you know, we all know how to write. She's going to use that formula. She's going to apply it. And I'm going to guide her every step of the way. That typically gives that client peace to try someone else and to stay in your business. And you keep repeating that process. So every time you have price increases, whether it's you as the owner or your stylist, you want to make sure that there's always someone available to funnel down to so that you're accommodating those clients and you're building your team and you keep bringing in stylists. And this is how you're going to build your team and build your stylist with this funnel system. That is so genius. And I think that makes those clients feel really taken care of as well. It's so funny. I 
we'll coach stylists who are like, oh, I really need to drop some of my clients. I'm working too much. I can't sustain this. I'm like, hey, we need to show price increase. That's typically going to be the way or really niche down something along those lines. And there's like, but what if my clients leave me? I'm like, but you, you need your clients to leave you. (laughs) So I like what you said about the first step is making peace with letting go of some of those clients. I think you're, you're so right. And if you're a salon owner who wants to like niche down, maybe this is also something else you can think about. I know that I've seen stylists or salon owners who want to, you know, become natural curly hair specialists or extensionists or whatever that looks like. So that's also a a system that you could use if you're wanting to drop some services, you could funnel them to your stylist. I love that. It works the same way. Yeah. And I know that you also have a very strategic way that you like to announce price increases because whether you know you need one or whatever that looks like, that can be a sticky point where there's a lot of fear. <laughs> so what are how, how do you approach a price increase in your business? Yeah. So typically we spread them out. So we don't do like one salon price increase. These are based off the performance of each individual stylist and their anniversary or the demand of their business. What's really nice about that is by, you know, in my team, I have 14 stylists. So it could potentially fall that every single month, my business is getting an increase because I am increasing that stylist. So when we increase them and we have two different types of increases we do, but for our just general growth increase, we don't even, announce it. We don't say anything to the client. We just raise the price. Most of the time they're, they're minimal enough that Mm -hmm. the client's not recognizing them, but sometimes they do. And so we have an approach where we celebrate the the stylist. So if the client asks, you know, Oh, is, is her price more than it was last time? That's when we say, yes, it is. You know, I'm going to say, Sarah, will you Sarah? Sarah has been with the company for another year. She is, you know, loyal to the business. And in that year she has taken X, Y, Z classes. Her demand has grown. Her business has grown and we're celebrating all of her growth with an increase. This is how she continues to grow in the company. When you present it as a celebration in that way, the clients have a hard time saying, "Ugh," you know, like at least not in a negative way. Now, sometimes they'll get to a point where they're like, it's just gotten more than I can handle. And they say that kindly. And that's where we funnel them down, you know, but usually when you're celebrating all of the accomplishments of that stylist, and you can do that for yourself too, right? I do that as the owner. So I'll say, yes, I'm decreasing my hours. The business is just continuously growing. It's Mm -hmm. desiring more of my attention. So in order for me to continue to grow my business, I have to step away from the chair a little bit more. And my clients are like, good for you. It's so awesome to see your success. So what we want to do is have that client celebrate the success of the stylist versus looking at it in the way of it being kind of like a slight to them. You know, it's more about celebrating and supporting that stylist and they're usually happy to do so. I love that because the natural way that people want to approach this is by being apologetic. And I think that sends the wrong message on so many levels. So you're absolutely right that positioning it. And I mean, that's kind of, that kind of brings me back to like the beginning of my career at level-based salons. And that was really the thing when I was, when I first got into the industry, I know there are still that's still the way that some businesses operate, which was really awesome as a stylist. And your clients would definitely be excited for you. Like they're like, oh, that's awesome. Like way to go. Congratulations. And it is really cool because you're almost bringing them in as part of the the celebration and allowing them to get excited for you. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And we do level jumps as well, but mostly our level jumps are, you know, we don't celebrate them quite as much like that as we do the price increases. Mm -hmm. Ours are just because as they grow and they generate more, they get a commission increase as well. So we're always just celebrating and trying to get them to grow as much as they possibly can. And everything I do, I always say, you know, I've already said it with the happy stylists, happy clients, happy leaders. Everything I do is based off of the salaries of my stylist. My pricing is based off of the salaries of my stylist. And the idea is for them to just make as much as they possibly can so that my business is successful. You know, I think a lot of times we look at business first and then we price accordingly. And I look at it as stylist first and then price accordingly. So can you give a little bit of insight on like what you look for when you're hiring or how you, because one thing that kind of piqued my ear a little bit when you were talking is if a stylist in your salon experiences the price increase and then their client, you know, says that's kind of gotten beyond what I can allocate. And then you funnel them down. I think if you had stylists in your salon who had that lack mindset or were really, you know, I think that that's still something that I see. I think the industry is evolving mostly, but where there's that almost possessiveness over clients, how do you handle that within your salon? Is that something that you look for a certain personality type when you're hiring? Is that through like mindset coaching? Like how does that work for for you as a salon owner when it's your clients who, or when your stylists are funneling down their clients? Yeah. I think the biggest piece, as you said, is the coaching aspect of it. I mean, first off, when I'm hiring, I definitely believe in hiring for personality because I can Mm -hmm. train your hands and we do lots of ongoing education. The other thing is when they're starting out, I do not I'm not the type of salon where I'm like, everybody has to do everything. So the first thing I do when I'm hiring is, what are you the most comfortable with? And what do you hate doing? So, you know, typically the two hates are either men's haircuts or updos. And I'm like, you don't have to do them, you know, you you don't. And then I have plenty of colorists who, as they're growing up the ladder, they're like, I don't want to do one-off haircuts anymore. I don't want to do haircuts at all. So they only color. And then we have someone else available to do the haircut, which actually is a beautiful thing in the salon because now the client has two touch points, right? So if they do decide to leave, they're leaving two stylists versus one. Or if a stylist leaves, now it's like, where do I go? Who do I stay? And you may retain some of that business. So that's a really great tool. But I think, you know, the biggest piece with the, you know, the stylist is in that mindset and it's the transparency of like, okay, this is what you want. This is what Mm -hmm. has to happen. It is okay. In order for you to achieve those goals, we have to pass these clients off and realize that this isn't a matter of a client leaving you. You know, it's not a personal thing. It's a natural flow to get you to where you want to go. And a lot of times when you kind of help them understand that and break through some of that fear, fear is just protection, right? They're protecting themselves from some thing. So when you kind of guide them into like the natural progression of in order to get here, we have to do this. It's like that real remember. So you want this, but you have to do this, but you coach them and you guide them and, and you build that trust. And I think that's the biggest piece, you know, in my business, which of course has been around for a long time is they trust me. They trust that I have their best intentions. They trust that I'm not going to fail them. And they also trust that if we try something and it doesn't work, that I'm willing to look inward and say, okay, that didn't work. And I'm willing to pivot and we can always go back. And that's what I tell them too, is like, let's try it. What do we have to lose? You know, but if it doesn't work, then we just go back to what we were doing. We never have to go back. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you just one last question. You've given so many amazing tips today. So 
you are now, you started as a commission hairstylist. You are now a published author, a seven-figure salon owner, and a mentor to other salon owners. And so are there any points along your career that you attribute to the success you've been able to achieve? Yes. So, you know, it's hard to talk about it without feeling like you're tooting your own horn. But yes, I I had the opportunity early on in owning the salon. I entered a contest and that was with Nick Arojo. And it was a year long process, 500 stylists. There were multiple steps to it. It ultimately ended up three of us went to New York where they did a three, two, one on the IBS stage. And it was really cool. And I, I won that contest. So that in itself was a huge accomplishment. But the benefit that really helped my career and shape how I run my salon and now how I coach is I got to spend a year with Nick learning how he runs his mega empire what his he had a class at the time called success symposium and I got to just be a sponge and absorb everything I got to travel with him and teach with him it was just it was quite the year and you know what I found though was that it's very easy as salon owners for us to go into these corporate level business classes and get huge big doe-eyed you know dreams and we start bringing them back back home and they feel really overwhelming. And I would come back to my small salon and think, that's awesome, but I don't know if I want all that. You know, I was, I had a young, a young son at the time. It's like, I do want a successful salon and I want to have a good lifestyle out of it, but I don't know if I want a mega corporation. So the experience and education that I got was priceless, but I really had to learn, okay, how do I take these concepts? How do I dial them down and then bring them into my small business and make them applicable? And that's how my coaching and education is different. So it's got the backing of this huge mogul, but it's really been dialed down to say, Hey, you can have a neighborhood salon and it can be very, very successful and you can have happiness in it as well as financial success. And you don't, you know, you don't have to, you know, they sometimes you got to have multiple locations and you've got to have all these things. Right. You don't have to have all of that. You just don't. You can be happy running your one small neighborhood salon. So that was critical, I think, in what changed in my career. If nothing else, it was the education I got, the experience I got. But honestly, winning that content contest gave me a confidence that I didn't know that I had. Yes. Yes. So fun fact, Nick was actually one of my first guests on this podcast. I love that. <laughs> but you're on now. Earth and so nice for, for someone to have that level of success. He is just so yeah. humble. Absolutely. And I think like, I love what you said there about that. The One of the biggest effects was like the confidence and showing you what you didn't necessarily want. And that's such a beautiful thing. I think it's so easy for us to see what everyone else is accomplishing, particularly with social media these days and thinking like, if I'm going to be successful, I need to have what that person has or what that person has. So reconnecting with what success means to you, I think is so important. And thank you again for being here, Kelly. This has been so eye-opening and enlightening. And I just appreciate you sharing your knowledge with me and my listeners today. Yes, I loved this opportunity. Thank you, Jody. This was so much fun. And where can my listeners go to find out more about you, Kelly? Yes. So I'm pretty active over on Instagram. So at scissors makes sense is my page there. There's a link in bio that kind of directs you to everything that I offer and do from the coaching program to the book. It's all right there. So that's a great, great place to start. Perfect. I will pop that in the show notes and as well as the links to find you Kelly so that people can come over, say hi, check you out and see what you're all about. Because Kelly has some really amazing insights that I think 
are awesome reality checks, really actionable. And just whether you're a commission salon owner, particularly, but I feel like all stylists can benefit from the knowledge that you share. So thank you again. And I hope you have an amazing day, Kelly. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in to another episode of the Hairstylist Rising podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Be sure to check out our show notes for all of the links mentioned in today's episode. And if you want to get in touch with me and let me know what you're thinking, what you'd like to see on the podcast, or just share your favorite episode, send me a DM over on Instagram, either at Hairstylist Rising or at It's Jody Brown. I am so excited to see you back here, same place, same time next week. And until then, I am Jody Brown. I am your host and I'm signing off now. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we'll see you next week.